Welcome once again to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as ever by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. You may well not be aware of this, but in China, at least one million Uyghur Muslims have been taken from their homes and put in what the Chinese government calls correction facilities, which are, in reality, concentration camps where brutal human rights abuses are taking place. I will be providing harrowing details of those in just a few moments. In Hong Kong, the Chinese government has introduced harsh measures that severely erode free speech, freedom of expression and freedom of association. In this podcast, we ask, where is Britain's moral compass? Where is the West's moral compass? Where is the world's moral compass? What should be done? And perhaps more to the point, what can be done to curtail China's growing influence as a global superpower? Greg, this story has not been covered particularly well at all in the mainstream media, either in Britain or any other Western country. And the basics of the story is this. The Chinese province of Xinjiang, which is four times the size of Germany, has a significant Uyghur Muslim population. And over the course of the last few years, a very large number of them have been taken to correction facilities, to put it politely. And we know that there are at least 90, that's nine zero, of these compounds. And what's going on inside these facilities, getting accurate details out of it is very difficult. But it does seem as though the Chinese Communist Party, to put it very mildly, is trying to brainwash them into surrendering their Muslim faiths and becoming loyal subjects of the Chinese Communist Party, which in itself is dark enough. But it does appear as though there's an even darker side to this. Now, the reason being, last week, towards the end of last week, U.S. federal authorities seized a shipment of products made from human hair, believed to have been taken from Muslims in those labor camps correction facilities. And Customs and Border Protection officials said that 13 tons, that's 11.8 metric tons, of weaves and other hair products worth an estimated $800,000 were in the shipment. And China has also been accused of harvesting human organs from persecuted groups from not just the, the Uyghur Muslims, but various other persecuted groups. But we'll focus on the Uyghur Muslims for now. And the China Tribunal, a group that's investigating the organ harvesting, said at a tense meeting of the UN Human Rights Council that the Chinese government was taking their hearts, kidneys, lungs and skin from groups, including the Uyghur Muslims and members of the Falun Gong religious groups. And there are now also reports of forced sterilization of the Uyghur Muslims. Greg, all I've seen of this in the mainstream UK media was a report on Newsnight one night last year, and a discussion on Majid Nawaz's program on LBC Radio last weekend. The UK media is, to a very large extent, ignoring this, as indeed is the mainstream US media. Why do you think that is, first of all? Well, firstly, to call it brainwashing is to put an acceptable title to unacceptable behaviour. The Uyghur, uh, I've been aware of this for some time, uh, the Uyghur have been rounded up and put into these camps. Children are taken away from parents for separate schooling and uh, re-educating. Parents, in the main, never see them again. Uh, Males and females, that's husbands and wives, are also separated. They're not allowed to write to each other or contact each other 
and very rapidly they lose track of where their spouses are. The behaviour is absolutely obscene and um, as to the use of human hair, uh, this has been done for a long time. I remember back in the 60s uh, bringing in a container of hair because uh, prisoners, people taken prisoners, um, were automatically shaved because there was commercial value in hair. But let's remember what China is. It's in many ways one of the least civilized countries on the planet. It may appear terribly civilized, but any country uh, that fails to educate its children and its adults in terms of fact and whose past great hero and leader was responsible for the cultural revolution that killed between 50 and 100 million of their own citizens uh, is in the same bracket, um, if not worse, uh, than Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot and Stalin. The Uyghur at the moment are the group that are taking the rough end of it. And we have our own problems with China. We entered into a solemn and internationally agreed contract with China over the Hong Kong, as I recall, that was 23 years ago. Yet, without any consultation, the Chinese have now set aside the agreement they made. They are utterly without integrity, completely without honour, and only interested in their own power. Well, we've seen a lot in the mainstream media over the course of the last few weeks about the passage of the legislation affecting the people of Hong Kong in so terms of freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, freedom of association. And there were a great deal of reports on all the main news channels last weekend and into the early part of this week of protesters holding up blank pieces of paper because they're no longer able to write anything on them. And even very young children in Hong Kong are being told uh, in their nursery schools even what you can and cannot say and can and cannot do anymore. So Hong Kong has absolutely and unequivocally gone back on the arrangement entered with the United Kingdom when sovereignty was passed over to China in terms of respecting people's human rights. Now, a terrible story this is for Hong Kong, undoubtedly. But why is it, Greg, that we are hearing so much more about the situation in Hong Kong, terrible though it is, when something far, far worse is going on in China itself? And apart from that one report on Newsnight last year and that discussion on LBC, and credit to Majid Nawaz for discussing that, why aren't we hearing more about what is going on with these concentration camps? Because the official line coming from the Chinese government is that they are there to re-educate extremists and to fight terrorism. Now, that's clearly absolute nonsense. There is no evidence at all that most of those in these concentration camps are in any way linked to terrorism. What this is really all about is that China is trying to create a new Silk Road in line with a historic Silk Road coming out of China into Africa, spanning the entire continent of Africa. That's the long-term economic ambition. And Xinjiang is very important to that. And what the Chinese government fears is any kind of unrest along that Silk Road for economic reasons. But the way they're going about putting that right, so to speak, is absolutely dreadful. Why aren't we hearing more about it? Because this is enormous genocide that is going on in China right now, one of our key economic and trading partners, and we're hearing so little about it. This type of cultural genocide is very difficult to deal with because we don't have 
accurate information. China is a closed society. In fact, a closed dictatorship. You said that new legislation for Hong Kong, you can hardly call a diktat that Hong Kong did not participate in, that overturns international law at the stroke of some bully boy in China's say-so, is legislation. This is very close to an act of war. We are hearing about that. We're not hearing about the Uyghurs because this has, A, been going on for a long time. B, we don't know what we can do about it. Well, this is, this is where I want to go next with this discussion. What can we do about it? Because all of us, don't we, we all walk a sort of moral tightrope in life between, for example, one could say during the years of apartheid in South Africa that boycotting South African products was morally the right thing to do. And you can argue that point and you can argue that point very well. And therefore, we, we could say, for example, that we don't like what's going on in modern day Saudi Arabia. But at the same time, we got to put oil in our cars. And the reality is our cars aren't going to go very far at all without petrol from some of the most undesirable countries on earth in terms of human rights. But to put this into a Chinese context, the moral dilemma we all face in how we deal with this. Now, you said it was an act of war, close to an act of war. And I would agree with that. However, the question is then, what we can do about it. Now, nobody is actually saying that we should declare war on China, and that wouldn't end very well at all. However, we can make economic choices. Now, the very basic one is, and everyone listening to this can answer the question in their own way, next time you need a new washing machine, or a new fridge, or a new computer, or a new television, or a new bedside radio, are you willing to pay a bit more for those products to either be made in this country, in Bridgend or Bristol or Bognor Regis or wherever, or in a country with whom we are on good terms, or is paying the cheapest, lowest possible price your priority? Because if paying the lowest possible price is your priority, and that means it's going from China, does that not mean that you're endorsing what's going on? And by the way, I do acknowledge that in many cases, it's impossible to get products from anywhere other than China for many consumer products. But bearing in mind, and to put this into the context of the ongoing pandemic and China's responsibility for unleashing this horrendous virus upon the world, is this not now the time for us to take stock, not only in Britain, but across the Western world and even beyond the Western world and say, hang on, let's take a step back a little bit. Let's look at what China did over the pandemic and let's look at what's going on in Hong Kong and let's look at what's going on with the Uyghur Muslims and let's look at what's going on with the persecution of certain Christian communities in China with churches being demolished and people having to go to mass in underground facilities and say, hang on, this is not the sort of country we want to be cozying up to too much. Our problem there is the size of their economy. We cannot afford not to trade with China. We, well, you would be sitting in the dark if you didn't trade with China. Our light bulbs all come from China nowadays because of the lunatic concepts of these light bulbs that we now have to buy at an extortionate price that pollute the planet in a way that the old standard light bulb never did. We are right down to that level dependent on trade with China. How do we get round this? Well, we're unlikely to because there will always be somebody who will break ranks for profit. We have seen agreements entered into, for instance, 
with France in the past that they have glibly ignored when it came to making a profit. It happens again and again. You can't trust anyone except your own government who you can replace. I think it was Chairman Mao himself who said, we will sell the West the rope with which they will hang themselves. And what we have done, I'm afraid, in this country and in many, many other countries, is we have sort of known in the background that things weren't great the way political opponents and Muslims and Christians were being treated in China was poor. But we've sort of put that to the back of our minds and allowed ourselves to be taken over by consumer products. There was a period in the 1970s into the 80s where if you wanted to buy a screwdriver, for example, you could go into a hardware store and, and see a, a British screwdriver for three pounds or a Chinese screwdriver for a pound, and you bought the Chinese one and saved yourself two pounds. Now, people in those days could make an economic choice. Today, you can't really make that economic choice because almost all televisions are made in China, almost all washing machines are made in China, almost all computers are made in China, and if not the product themselves are made in China, you cannot be almost certain that some of the components at the very least are made in China. So therefore, we have led ourselves into this situation. It's a very difficult one to get out of now. So it may not even be, I haven't done the economics of it, bearing in mind the minimum wage in this country is nine pounds an hour. In China, it's a tiny fraction of that. If I was to say to people, look, next time you need a new television, you can buy a very nice television for 250 pounds. Actually, it's not going to be 300 pounds. It's going to be closer to 500 pounds because it's going to be manufactured in this country or in a country we're on good terms with, with a, a higher paid labor force. Are people in a position where they're actually willing to say, hang on, what is going on in China is wrong. We have all paid a heavy price in the last few months with the COVID-19 virus caused by China and their negligence. We are seeing now what's going on with the Uyghur Muslims. We do not approve of this. We are seeing now what is going on, on in Hong Kong. Are we willing to stand up to them? I would say that more importantly, are we able to? Well, the actual process of starting up a factory and getting the relevant expertise to, to start manufacturing these things is an expense in itself. But even once you go on beyond the initial expenses of getting a factory up and running, the day-to-day -day costs are going to be considerably higher than they would be in China. So do people just think with their wallets when push comes to shove? And also, you think back now the way this government behaves in a very subservient way whenever Chinese dignitaries visit this country, whether it's doing what they can to prevent legitimate protest, or I remember some, some low-level Chinese officials visited this country. They got an audience with the Queen when they weren't entitled to one a few years ago. Uh, the lack of comments over the situation in Tibet and the Dalai Lama and everything like that. This is consistently this country behaving in a subservient way to President Xi Jinping and the Chinese regime. And, well, do you think that what we've gone through in the last few months with COVID-19 and Hong Kong and everything we've talked about so far in terms of the Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps, 90 compounds, lest we forget, at least 1 million people. Is it not time to stand up to the Chinese government in the way we stood up to South Africa under apartheid, the way we, well, I'm not saying we should declare war, but the way we stood up to Nazi Germany? Is it not time to say enough is enough? We don't have a choice. So we're stuck with this, are we? There is no way out of this because- we don't have a choice. We are dependent in the Western world on light bulbs. There's only why, one why can't we make our own? There's only one source for them. We're dependent in the Western world on mobile phones. There is only one source for them. Ah, hang on, hang on. You, you make an important point there and I want to expand on this. We are seeing at the moment the creation of what I would describe as a Chinese slave empire 
in Africa. And I don't use that term lightly at all. And by that, I mean what China is doing is, is buying the mining rights to mine precious metals of various sorts, including the ones that appear in your mobile phone and make your smartphone function. And in return for those mining rights, they are employing local people, African people, on terrible wages. They can work in dangerous conditions, which is destroying their health, causing deaths and limb amputations and crippling for life. And in return, sometimes the Chinese government throws a bribe of one sort or another. We will pay for this road. We'll pay for this school. But there's an absolutely enormous price being paid across Africa in terms of the welfare of those who are digging for these metals and everything else and the mining rights and everything like that. So that is another aspect to it. In Africa, China is creating all the economic advantages of empire. And bearing in mind the, the legacy of the British Empire has been in the news a lot recently. They've got all the economic advantages of empire without any of the political responsibility. And that just shows the lack of morals and ethics that we see time and time again when dealing with the Chinese government. But we're dealing with them, mainly oh. due to our morals and ethics. Okay, all right. Let me ask you an even more blunt question then, but one that isn't easy to answer. I've identified the problem, and you have identified the problem. What can we do? Politics is the art of the possible. Obviously, we have categorically ruled out declaring war. We know that wouldn't end well. What can we do? Politics is not the art of the possible. Politics is the art of what is pragmatically possible. Well, what is pragmatically possible? It is possible? not pragmatically possible for us, for instance, to take a much simpler case, to refuse to export fighter planes and bomber and um, fighter bombers to Saudi Arabia because they're using them in the Yemen to wipe out civilians. Hmm. Because you would have the extremists in the left-wing socialism, who are many of them quasi-Marxist in Britain, screaming their heads off if they all lost their jobs making aeroplanes. Well, this and goes back to Robin Cook when he was foreign secretary saying, can we have an ethical foreign policy? And when it was pointed out to him that that would mean the dismantling of significant sections of the British economy in terms of people who are involved in, involved in manufacturing military equipment of various sorts, he sort of went a bit shy on it. But in terms of China, okay, we have accurately described the extent of the economic problem in, in terms of so much of what we buy in terms of consumer goods from clothing to electronics and everything else is made in China. We know what we can't do. We can't declare war and we can't cut all links. But what can we do? Well, we could stop um, trading with Italy. Now, that's a kicker, isn't it? Because as soon as you're trading with Italy in the fashion industry, leather goods and various others, you're dealing with Chinese companies. Because Italy sold nearly all of those major companies, particularly around uh, the northern province in Milan and the like, to China. And that is why Italy had a particularly bad time at the start of coronavirus, the COVID-19, when that broke out in Europe, because there was a daily flight to and from Wuhan in China, carrying Chinese businessmen and labor to and fro Italy. Yeah, but it, look at the repercussions of that in other ways. You would end up damaging it's small fry in the grand scheme of things. That's a tiny proportion of the Chinese economy. And what you would end up doing is harming ordinary people in Italy far more than you would end up harming the Chinese regime. That is a small fry type of thing to do. No, it's not. Well, it's, it is. It is. Because you look at what's going on in Italy now. They've got the, they've got, I've got family in Italy. I know this to be true. They have got the EU effectively holding them over a barrel 
trying to cripple their economy with fines of various sorts, just when they're being affected very, very badly. And you adding this on top of it, it would damage Italy, but it wouldn't make all that much difference to China. I'm making the point entirely. And it is not a tiny amount of China's business, because that is their, the main pillar of their new policy of a silk route. That is the foundations of part of the silk route into Europe. They are also doing the same into Africa. And you will have noticed recently, they have been in hot skirmishes with India to establish footholds there. They also have quite a lot of influence in Nepal and Bhutan. And they're also right on the edges waiting uh, for Europe and the Europeans, should I say, involving America particularly, to pull out of Afghanistan because one of the largest copper deposits left untouched on the planet is in Afghanistan and China wants control over it. So in other words, what we're seeing in terms of a slave empire in Africa that's being created, if we are not careful and if we don't put the brakes on it now and make some tough choices ourselves about our own futures, and the economic price and the political price we'd have to pay for realigning our economy away from China, we ourselves could end up in a very, very similar position to where African countries are a decade or two decades from now. And we've got to think about our children's future. Sooner than that. Well, that may be so. It may be sooner than that. So I would say, bearing in mind all we've gone through this year in terms of COVID-19, Hong Kong, and the Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps, Okay, we've heard a lot of hot air from President Trump about China will pay the price for this. We as the Western world, and beyond that quite possibly, collectively need to say, let's start to realign our economies now in all aspects, whether from light bulbs to electronics to clothing and everything else. And we'd have to explain a few certain home truths to ordinary people, like, yes, it is going to cost you more when you buy it in the shop, but you'll have a much, much heavier price to pay a decade, two decades from now, or in your words, possibly sooner than that, if we do not. And we need to decide, are we willing to just turn a blind eye to all that's going on in the name of getting cheap consumer goods? Or are we willing to have a moral aspect and look at our own long-term interests and our own long-term interests are not allowing China to dominate in the way that they are? We cannot automatically take on China. This planet, if it keeps going the way it's going, and I see no way of turning it around, will be dominated by China within 50 to 100 years. The picture you've painted so far is one of, well, bad though this is, there is nothing we can do to stop Chinese dominance. Well, in that case, we need to prepare for a pretty grim future of one, two, three decades from now. Certainly our grandchildren's generation will be as subservient to China as Africa is now. What I'm saying is, This is our last chance to stop it in light of all that's gone on this year. Can we and should we? Um, We should, but we won't, because the lunatics have taken over the asylum. We are being lectured by children with no education in the subject, no experience. You will be ruled by a faceless, totally unempathetic Chinese government pretty damn soon. Well, we're four minutes over time in this edition, but I think it was worth it to explore the various aspects of this rather complex issue in more depth. I don't think we offered much in the way of optimism or hope, but what we have done is we've outlined where we are very likely to end up 
if we don't stand up to China's attempts to dominate the world economically in the very near future. My thanks as always to Greg, and my thanks to you for listening. Join us again next time. <music>